Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. The reading today is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you for reading, Emma. So we're in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10, a hugely important passage, and I hope we'll get a lot out of it over the next 20 minutes. So, Now, before I begin, can I urge you to keep that passage, keep that hand out in front of you, and to keep looking down at it as I speak? Because I want you to see that the authority here is not me. These are God's words. He's the authority here. And I think if you look down at the passage as I speak, hopefully that will be clear. These aren't just my ideas, my wacky ideas. No, these are God's words. These are God's truths. Also, I'd like to think maybe that sometime tomorrow you might be able to read back through Ephesians 2 on your own accord. And hopefully as you do so, what we think about today might come back to life. and You'll be able to apply it to your week. And I think that'll be easier if you're constantly looking down at the passage as we speak. So do keep it in front of you and keep referencing it as I go along. But before I start, let me pray. Father God, please give us humble hearts and attentive hearts to listen to your word and then to put it into action. Amen. So Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10, the, uh, the greatest comeback story of all time. Greater even than City coming back to beat QPR. That was not particularly that great. QPR are rubbish. But greater even than the Champions League final in 99. 1999, for all you millennials, when uh, Solskjaer and Sheringham scored in the 90th minute to beat Bayern Munich 2-1. Greater even than that. Ephesians 2 is the greatest comeback story of all time. So we're going we're gonna to plow straight on. We're going to get into the first half. I had a good chat with Tim out on Friday night. I can't remember where Tim is. Where he said that it's absolutely intolerable for someone to speak for more than 25 minutes. So we're going to plow We're going to plow straight on. Plow straight on for Tim, who's not even here after all my cutting it down. Oh, no, there he is at the back. There we go. Intolerable to go on for longer than 25 minutes. So we're going to straight into the first half. But the first half, like any comeback story, like the first half in the Neu Camp in 1999, the first half can be hard to hear. And that's why we've got to keep looking down at the passage. Because remember, these aren't my words. No, these are God's truths. Now, let me start by giving you a few bleak facts. Did you know that there are 210 million orphans in the world. So there's only 5 million people in Ireland, times that by 40, and you get the amount of young children without a mother or father. Pretty bleak. Or how about this? Every year, 2 million children, so about half the population of Ireland, die of preventable diseases 
because their parents are too, for, too poor to afford a simple treatment. And then let's go outside and look at all the wealth around us in this city. That is pretty bleak. Two million children, preventable diseases. Or here's, here's maybe the worst one I found online. You know how some people like to think that the world is becoming a better and better place year on year? Well, currently, there are 10 times as many women trafficked into brothels annually as there were annually African slaves transported into the new world during the height of the slave trade. So the transatlantic slave trade, a disgusting disgrace. But in 2018, slavery is an even bigger problem than ever before. You see, the Bible gives a very honest assessment of the state of this world. And it says the world is bleak. It says the world is not what it's meant to be. And why not? Because of us. Because of our hearts. The Bible says the problem starts here. The old saying, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That's where it starts. And Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 goes into detail on the grim state of our hearts. And it says three things in particular about what our hearts were like before we became Christians. Firstly, it says that before we became followers of Christ, we were enslaved to our cravings. Do you see verse 3 in the handout there? Verse 3, before we knew Christ, we were slaves to the cravings of our sinful flesh. Now, flesh here, if you haven't heard that term before, is another word for what we call our evil sinful nature, which is that selfish, evil part of us which craves harmful and immoral things. That's our flesh. So what does your flesh crave? Does it crave success? Does it crave the feeling of people praising you, telling you how great you are, success and greatness for me? Is that what your flesh craves? Or or does it crave sexual gratification, lustful looks, a need for sex outside of marriage, pornography? Is that what it craves? Or does it crave materialism? Does it crave more and more stuff, more and more possessions, more money, more money for me, a big salary so I can buy whatever I want? Well, I don't know what your craves. craves. My, My flesh craves some pretty bleak stuff. But whatever it does crave, do you see what our state was before we became Christians? Verse 2, we followed the ways of this world and even the devil himself. And the consequence was we simply could not resist the cravings of our flesh. We were victims, slaves to our own sinful desires. Whatever our flesh wanted, we chased. Even though we knew deep down it didn't satisfy, still chased it. That's bleak stuff, isn't it? It's It's a pretty bleak assessment of humanity. But can I draw your attention to the crucial words? These are at the start of verse 3. See them? All of us. You see, it's not judgmental to say this stuff, because to judge is to make hierarchies, to say, well, one person is better than another person. But no, Ephesians 2 is talking about me. Before I gave my life to Jesus, I was a slave to my own lusts and desires, could not break free of them. Ephesians 2 is talking about Steve. Before he became a Christian, he was a slave to his own sinful desires, addicted to them, couldn't break free. Ephesians 2 is talking about me. It's talking about Steve. It's it's talking about Katie. It's talking about Andrew. Anyone you've seen up front, it's talking about us. We're all in the same boat here. Verse 3, all of us. But there's no judgment here. But perhaps the really tough truth is that if you have not fully turned to Jesus yet, then Ephesians says this is your current state enslaved to your sinful desires. I was like this. We were like this. Are you still like this? Enslaved to our sinful desires. Secondly, not only were we enslaved to our sinful desires, but we were dead. 
We were actually dead. We weren't even alive. See the start of verse 1 there? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You see, life without Christ, well, it's no life at all. It's death, not even living. Ephesians 2 says that before we knew Christ, we weren't even alive. So I was at a university reunion in November, and a girl called Susie came rushing up to me. Now, at university, she was a really nice girl, but totally wild, a real, a real party animal. However, she grabbed me at this reunion, and I was quite surprised but delighted to hear her say, Patrick, I've become a Christian. It was amazing to hear. And then she said something really powerful. I think it'll always stick with me. Susie said, it's like I used to live in black and white, but now I see in color. You see, Susie had moved from death to life. Everything used to be black and white, but now she's alive. She sees in color. Because life with Jesus, that's life as it's meant to be. That's living. But life without him, well, hear what Ephesians 2 says. It says that's death. It's not even being alive. Lastly, because we were dead, because we were living as slaves to our own selfish desires, God is angry. He's angry with us. Now, some of us may feel pretty uncomfortable with that. However, on reflection, isn't it a good thing that God is angry? Remember those facts? Two million children each year dying of, dying of preventable diseases. And look at the wealth I have here. The slave trade, bigger than ever before. What an awful thing it would be if God looked at this world and said, ah, sure, it's going all right. It's, it's grand. It's going all right. They're not so bad. No, it's not. It's not going all right. And he is angry. He's angry at humanity. Before we were forgiven by Christ, we were objects of his wrath, deserving of his wrath. Now, it's a settled righteous wrath, not a fly-off-the-handle irrational anger like I get into. It's a just, controlled wrath. But it is true. So Ephesians 2, 1 to 5. Guys, it's not easy to read. That's why I made a point of saying I'm not the authority here. It's not easy to read. All of us were enslaved, all of us were dead, and all of us were deserving of wrath. It's tough stuff. And it makes me think of one of my best friends. It makes me think of, well, let's call him Clive. Um, I love Clive. That's, that's a ridiculous name. I sent, I, I sent my sermon off to someone for review, and they said, maybe don't use his real name. So they suggested Clive, which I'm now regret regretting. But anyway, his, na his name is, for the purpose of the story, his name is Clive. I really like Clive, and he's great company. I adore him. He makes me laugh more than anyone I know. And I'm seeing him this weekend. Can't wait to see him. Now, here's, here's my favorite story about Clive. I thought I'd, uh, we're on the topic. I thought I'd share one story. So Clive's father had a very, or does have a very successful corporate career. And Clive's father was getting very stressed about Clive's lack of career prospects while we were at university. So his dad pulled some strings and managed to get him an interview at a top investment management firm in the city of London. Now, because Clive's an admirably laid-back bloke, bloke, he didn't prep at all for the interview. Okay, he just backed himself to wing it, thought, how hard can it be? Anyway, the first question he got in his interview was, Clive, tell me what you know about Tesco's IPO. Now, apparently an IPO, an initial public offering, is a pretty standard piece of financial terminology. I've not heard of one, but I think the interviewer was allowed to assume that Clive would know what an IPO was. Anyway, he says to Clive, Clive, tell me what you know about Tesco's IPO, and bang, Clive thinks he's hit the jackpot, knows all about Tesco's IPOs. And he sits back in his chair, and he, and he replies, well, actually, sir, I, um, I know quite a lot about Tesco's IPAs. In fact, they have a wide range of various interesting and flavoursome IPAs, ranging from your traditional ales like your Hog Goblins, your Newcastle Brown Ales, your Cornish Tributes, to some more modern beers like Brew Dog, Dogfish, and my favourite, Doom Bar. 
So all together, Tesco's IPAs, well, I think they're in pretty good shape, sir. And with that, Clive sort of sat back, chuffed with himself, thinking, oh, I've got off to a good start. And then the interviewer replied, Clive, I asked about Tesco's initial public offering, not their range of Indian pale ales. And apparently the interviewer then flew off the handle and, Clive, and told Clive he was sick of interviewing daddy's boys and this was everything that was wrong with the system and stormed out of the room. So anyway, um, Clive hopped on the, train, on the train back to Cambridge and we went for a doom bar to cheer him up. So anyway, classic Clive, not his real name, but classic Clive, he's a great guy, and he will always, all my life, he will be one of my closest friends. But do you see what Ephesians 2 says about Clive? Well, it says actually beneath the surface, all is not well. And I found it very hard reflecting on this more and more this week. All is not well. And the truth is, as I've begun to get to know him better and better, I've begun to see glimpses of this. Yeah, Clive can put on a convincing, happy-go-lucky front. But deep down, underneath the surface, my dear friend is enslaved. He is dead. He is deserving of wrath. Yeah, it's not easy to believe. And believe you me, it's not easy to preach on. But Ephesians says it's the truth. It's what it says. And, and it's the truth that makes sense of the dreadful state of our world. And it's the truth that needs to spur us on to tell our friends, our colleagues, our teammates, our family about the Lord Jesus. So my dear friend Clive, man, he needs the Lord Jesus. I've got to keep praying for him. We've had some great conversations about Christ in the past. We've got to have him again. I'm seeing him this weekend, as I said. We need to have them again. I'm looking forward to praying hard for him before I see him this weekend. He needs the Lord Jesus. So we must believe Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 for our friends, as hard as it is to do. And perhaps even more importantly, we must believe it for ourselves. There's no judgment if we say, well, this is true of me, therefore it's true of others. Now, I, I'm pleased to say that we're, we're going to start turning to the happier second half of the pa passage. Okay? York and Sheringham are about to come onto the pitch and we're gonna, the comeback's going to begin. But the second half only makes sense once we get the bleakness of the first three verses. Once we remember how dark the darkness is, well, then the light is all the more spectacular. And as the old saying goes, the more we see our sin, the more we delay, delight in our Savior. So, enslaved, dead, deserving of wrath. Well, that leads us on to one of the great words in the Bible. See, maybe, maybe one of the greatest words. But, do you see it at the start of verse 4? If you've got a pen, give it a big, bold circle. But, enslaved, dead, object of wrath, wrath but. But the story doesn't end there. Because God is a God of love. He was not going to leave it there. He is rich in mercy, and therefore he has, verse 5, made us alive in Christ. We were dead, but now we've been made alive. Remember my friend Susie? She said it was like I lived in black and white, but now I see in color. Because living to serve Christ, that is truly living. And of course, the, the point of being dead is we couldn't have made ourselves alive. No, we were dead. The, de the dead can't make themselves alive again. God had to make the first move. It's God's pre-election, like we talked about last week. Remember those moments when you were first coming to know Christ. And at the time, you thought you were reaching up and grabbing onto him. But in hindsight, isn't it so obvious that actually he was reaching down and grabbing onto you? It's definitely the case for me. I thought I was grabbing onto him, but no, no, no. I can see so clearly now as I look back. Oh, it's so obvious. He was grabbing onto me. So we were dead, but we've been made alive. We can see in color now. He's grabbed onto us. Life has purpose. Life has meaning. We're alive. But God didn't even stop there. He didn't just make us alive and then leave us to it. No, he's done way more than that. His love doesn't stop there. Verse 6, he has seated us in the heavenly realms. 
Now, I take it this is to an extent metaphorical language. So you might say Liverpool sit on top of the Premier League table or Michael D is the sitting president of Ireland. When you are seated somewhere, there's a sense of glory, a sense of permanent status. The king is seated on the throne. Well, likewise, we are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ, the king of all creation. Wow. There you go. That's a pretty noble title. Particularly when you think of what we were, dead, enslaved, deserving of wrath. That's what I was. But now I'm seated in the heavenly realms. That is grace. Patrick Ty seated in the heavenly realms. That's who we are, and it doesn't get better than that. I was thinking this week that the Christian life is a little bit like a winning scratch card. You see, a winning scratch card, this could be one. No one knows it yet. But as this life passes away, it'll be pretty good if I won. I have have no idea. As this life passes away, I'm I'm not going to let you guilt trip me into giving it to CCC if I do win either. (laughs) As this life passes away, we begin to catch a glimpse of what the real truth is. But no one knows it yet until it's scratched away, right? No one knows it. But anyway, you get the point. There's something unique about us in this room. Something unique. It's like a scratch card. There's something unique sitting behind the veil. Only not everyone can see it yet. In fact, most people can't see it. Only the creator of the scratch card knows it. But one day, as life passes, when life passes, behind the veil, we'll see it. Us. Me and you. Seated in the heavenly realms. It's true, just no one knows it yet. It's like a scratch card. So, we've been made alive. We've been seated in the heavenly realms. And thirdly, we are now awaiting a glorious inheritance. So, remember the most important news about the Christian faith. Most important news about the Christian faith, it's not that Christ came, but that he's coming back. Yes, he came, and that was very, very important. But even more importantly, he is coming back. And when he comes back, according to verse 7, in the age to come, he will shower us with the inexpressible riches of his grace. Inexpressible riches. Oh, man, I can't wait for him to return. So don't set your heart on earthly riches this week. Don't set your heart on a big salary or a fancy house or, in my case, an Osprey Sport 22 fishing boat with twin Yamaha V2 engines. No, they rot. They lose value. They suffer with the ebbs and flows of a fragile economy. Okay, well, actually, the Yamaha V2 engines come with cutting-edge anti-rust technology, but only guaranteed to last 15 years. So it's pretty tempting. But even there, you get the point. Riches rot. Riches pass. So followers of Christ, don't chase earthly riches. If I never own an Osprey Sport 22 fishing boat with twin Yamaha V2 engines, well, then that's okay, because I'm an heir of the greatest inheritance of all time. Perhaps like a scratch card, it's not obvious to everyone yet, but that's who I am. That's what's coming my way. Psalm 50 verse 10, I love this verse. Our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's how rich he was, or he is. So back in the day, obviously, cows were, were, were the biggest symbol of wealth. Our God, well, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is wealthy beyond measure, and it's coming our way. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So what were we? We were dead. We were enslaved. We were deserving of wrath. What are we now? We are alive, seated in the heavenly realms, and awaiting a glorious inheritance. And that leads us to the real thrust of Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. What is Paul driving at here? Well, it's verse 8. Look at verse 8 there. It is by grace that you have been saved, by faith, and this is not from yourselves, so that no man can boast. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, grace. A free gift. We've done nothing to earn this. There is nothing in us that has deserved this treatment. It's just a gift. 
What a generous God we have. What a wonderful faith we proclaim. Now, remember from last week, the central thing that Paul wants to communicate in his letter to the Ephesians, his key point is that we must all be unified. That's what, he, that's what he's heading towards. It doesn't matter if we're Jews, Greeks, or Romans. That's what Paul is saying in Ephesians, because those were the typical divisions. We must still stay together, one tight family, no divisions. In the church, there must be no subtle boasting, no subtle hierarchies, no subtle pride, because how could there be? We were dead. But God made us alive. We were slaves, but God set us free. We were deserving of wrath, but God raised us up. God has done this. It's all him. Not one of us has done this. It's all him. So no more boasting in CCC, however subtle it may be. No more pride in CCC, however subtle it may be. Just unity. Unity. Because we're all in the same boat. And it's a marvelous boat to be in. So remember how we got here. All through Christ. Just quickly, once more time, look down that passage. Verse 5, we've been made alive with Christ. Verse 6, we've been seated in the heavenly realms in Christ. Verse 7, the inexpressible riches expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. Verse 10, we were created in Christ. Christ, Christ, Christ. Who's the key figure in this all? It is Christ. That's why we are called Christians, followers of Christ Jesus. That man who came into history 2,000 years ago, historical figure, Christ Jesus. He is what we are all about. It's all through him. When he died on that cross, he was taking the wrath that we deserved. Remember we were objects of wrath? Well, he was taking that wrath. The whips, the nails, they, they should be ours. They should be mine. But he took them. And because he took the anger, because he took them, the anger is satisfied. And now I go free. All because of Christ, all because of what he did on that cross. Alive, seated in the heavenly realms, waiting for an inexpressible riches. All through Christ. Now, finally, let me close very quickly by giving us three H's. How should we respond to all this amazing truth? Well, with three H's. First of all, we should be completely hopeful. Whatever life throws at us this week, we can still be completely hopeful. Remember 2 verse 6, this week, in the coming ages, he is going to show the incomparable riches of his grace. And we will be the recipients. Incomparable riches. Our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's what's ahead of us. That is what gives us hope amid the most painful suffering. So whatever is hard this week, and I, I don't want for one second to belittle it, okay? The Bible is clear. Suffering is real, and suffering is intense. And I don't know how bad your suffering is at the moment. It could be very bad indeed. But we can still be hopeful. Our Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and it's coming our way. Let's be completely hopeful this week. Whatever life is throwing at us, completely hopeful, looking to the future. Secondly, because of grace, we can be completely humble. Now, as we've just been thinking about, we can be completely humble with one another. We must be completely humble with one another. We've been saved by grace. This is a gift of God. No man can boast. Not one of us has earned this, just grace. So no subtle boasting, no subtle pride here at church. Just thankfulness to our God. No boasting here. But we can also be completely humble with others around us who aren't believers. It's not just here, our humility. Funnily enough, I, I met an old school friend this week who I hadn't seen for seven years. 
And when I last saw him, before he went to the US in 2012, he was, he was my mate, but he was a very sort of alpha male type character. And I basically got on with him, but he, he, was, he was the cool kid at school. He was, he was the Andrew Tuddy of his year group. And I, maybe that's an inaccurate analogy. But I, and I did spend much of my childhood trying to impress him. And as it came up to meeting him for a pint, I could feel this proud desire bubbling inside me all over again. I was thinking to myself, how am I going to impress him? How can I spin a story of my last seven years to make him think, wow, Tyson's really kicked on since school. I was getting ready to boast, getting ready to impress him, getting, getting ready to spin this narrative for him. But then thankfully, I also was writing this sermon in the same week. So I was able to remind myself that I have been raised up and seated in the heavenly realms. And I had that brewing in my head all week. Raised up. Seated in the heavenly realms. Now, it doesn't get more impressive than that. And one day, everyone will see it. So we don't need to boast now. I didn't need to impress my old school friend now. Because I have something far more impressive than anything my career, sport, or academics could offer. Only my friend just can't see it yet. But he will. I'm seated in the heavenly realms. So out there in the world, we can be completely humble. We don't need to impress anyone. Family, friends, colleagues, no. You've been seated... You've been seated, raised up in the heavenly realms. It doesn't get more impressive than that. Only the world can't see it that yet. It's like the scratch card, but they will. So be humble around them instead. In fact, rather than trying to impress them, point them to Christ so they too can be raised up. Because once they're valued by God, they won't need to be valued by anyone else. So completely hopeful, completely humble, and lastly, completely hard-working. Do you see verse 10? The outworking of all this tr- terrific truth is that now, last verse on the handout, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Do you see all the Lord has done for us? How utterly amazing. And what can we do in response? What can I do in response? Well, it says in Romans 12, what what one thing I can do is I can offer my body as a living sacrifice. The Lord has plucked me from my hideous sin and saved me for glory. I don't want to go back to my old masters anymore. I'm not going there. I don't want to go back to my sin, my lust, my desire. Yes, that flesh still exists, but I don't want to obey it anymore. I don't have to obey it anymore. It's not our master anymore. We don't need to. Christ is our master now. I want to live and work for him. Lord, here I am, completely hardworking. That's, that's our response. How can I worship? How can I work for you? How can we inv- who can we invite to church? Who, how can we serve our city group family? How can I get my hands dirty to make Sundays run smoothly? Remember, remember the sermon si- series that we've just finished, the stewardship sermons? How can I use my talents, my time, my privileges, my money to serve God's church? Because this is grace, amazing grace. It doesn't lead to laziness, to sitting back and doing nothing. No, no, quite the opposite. It leads to worship. And how do we worship? By doing the good works that he has already prepared in advance for us to do. Completely hard working. That's us. So I I, I better stop here because we've got to get back out into the city. There's gospel work to be done. There's gospel worship. So to conclude... I, uh, I live in flat number 33. My old email address was patrickthelegend33 at hotmail.com. So I like threes. And I've given you three threes today. What were we? 
I think I ought to go back to using that email address. Uh, it looks good written down here. PatrickLegend33 at Hotmail.com. Anyway, we've got three threes. We were dead. We were enslaved. We were deserving of wrath. What are we now? Alive, seated in the heavenly realms, and waiting for our inheritance. And how does that shape us this week? Well, we can be completely hopeful, humble, and completely hardworking. Let me take my scratch card in case I did win. And um, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that though we were dead, though we were enslaved, and though we were objects of wrath, deserving of wrath, yet you came. And now you've made us alive. You've seated me in the heavenly realms. And thank you for the inheritance that I am now waiting on. And I pray for all of us this week that you would help us to be radically humble, hopeful, and hardworking. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.